Frank Network. Content on this production is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute medical treatment or diagnosis. Seek medical help if you believe that you are suffering from a mental illness or are a threat to yourself or others. By using any or all of the information provided, you do so at your own risk. Any application of the material is at the listener's discretion and is his or her sole responsibility. Everybody, Doc Brian here, and welcome to Doc Talks DX, where we talk about our guest probable diagnosis. Uh, once again, I have with me Katie Boyle, uh, and hopefully you've listened to the podcast with her on Doc Talks, and she is again here with me today. So, Katie, thank you for for being here with us, and uh, we look forward into kind of unwrapping some of this uh, stuff that has gone on in your life. Great, thank you. You're, just great. Thank you. <laughs> she, you can't see her, but she is scared to death. This, this, this. Like, don't diagnose me too bad. There's a window here. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't do anything crazy. Um, I'm coping so well lately. <laughs> that, that, that is why we make you give us your address and your phone number uh, to do this. So if you go, go off the rails here, we can call somebody to help you. But uh, that's not happened yet, but uh, oh, yeah, we want to we want to make sure we limit liability yeah, anywhere that we can. So if you've if you listen to the original podcast with Katie, uh, you know that there was issues in her growing up with uh, a mother who uh, had had many different uh, ideas, I guess, about how things should be, um, and that there was quite a bit of kind of an explosive anger and but then explosive love and compassion of let's do this together uh and then five seconds later there was something else is that pretty well described yeah yeah and it was um it was just yeah I guess like I said walking on eggshells but also very unhealthy scenarios should I give you an example Yes, please. That would be good. Okay. One example is when I was 13, she had a bunch of men over and they were partying and it was like 3 a.m. But I had a maths test the next day. So I went down to say, can you keep it quiet? Can you turn down the music? And then she came upstairs. Now, she slapped me in the face, but that's fine. I don't care. Like, that's not a big deal. But it was, she said, you are trying to seduce my friends. And I was like, what? And she said, with your see-through shirt. I was wearing a Brazil soccer jersey. So that kind of was a lot of it as well. There was like situations like that or another time, you know, I would never know where to put, this is really gross. And I don't share this a lot with people because it makes them uncomfortable. But like with my like period, she moved a guy in and he was living there a month. I never met him. I didn't know him. He was from like Amsterdam or something. And she, oh, I can't remember exactly, but she got me to go to the store for her. But then she was screaming on the phone being like, you need to come back in time. Like, I can't remember if this is the same day or a different day where I was with my friend. She was screaming about getting her period and there was like blood pouring out of her and it was like so loud. I was like, oh God, like my friends are going to hear. Um, but that day she was definitely screaming on the phone. But when I got home, we had been minding my cousin's dog and the dog had pulled my period pad out of the bin. And instead of her kind of just going, whatever, these things happen in front of this guy. She like held it up and was screaming at me that I'm like disgusting. Like how, you know, why did I think that was okay to just put it in the, like you call it a trash can. And for years later, I never knew where to put period pads. When I went to someone's house, I would just wrap it up in my bag and bring it home with me because I wouldn't know what to do. So things like, it was like very emotionally abusive, I guess. 
the right mm. word. Yeah. Um. So yeah, every, every day was something along the lines of that. Um. Yeah. So there was also physical abuse, uh, which could be acceptable. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even hold that against her. Like, I think uh, what kid hasn't gotten that slap in the face? Like, I wouldn't. It was never, never that physical. It was very physical with my dad. But with me, it was more like, I felt like mental torture, if that makes sense. Like, you know, the, even the sleeping in the bed or like the, you know, if I was watching TV, like the breathing too loud. Or one time she got us to hide under the stairs because there was like a murderer upstairs. And, or there's like the cat's meowing outside. It's an axe murderer. And like always pull down the curtains because people are watching us. Or I could never, I didn't, wasn't allowed to close my door for 18 years because she needed to like always come in and like, or she'd like, you know, always checking my phone or my mess, my diaries since I was small. Or she would force me to write things in my diary about how terrible my father was. And um, like just fucking. Ugh. Now, when you, when you said that she, um, one of the, candid ways to say it is that every time she blinked she became a different person you know that just yeah um but did she ever was it ever distinctly that she was now this person and then there was this person like the whole personality changed and you noticed which personality she was in or was it always different um no i think like she's very if you met her she's very polite and friendly and sweet and nice for like a little while she'll ruin your life <laughs> I mean like with friends and partners and like people's people's partners and stuff but um there is a eye twitch you do that I'd know oh fuck there's like the demon person that's coming um it was like a, she would close her eye one eye and then I'm like okay this is it we're done so it was in like it's not like it's different personalities it was just like different um, I don't know like A to Z um yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't that okay if she became very combative that she used the same kind of tones and words but then the next time that she came combative it was like a whole different person or did she kind of stay in no, the No, no, she stayed in the, like I mean like when she was screaming and ugh she was the same screaming ugh that she is yesterday or the day before it's just like uh, let's say it could be like uh, an example, like, um, I, you know, we're going to watch a show. We're going to do this. We're going to, it's going to be great. And then I don't know, maybe I'll say, oh, I wish we had crisps or something. And then she's like, well, I'm a fucking terrible mother. You ruined this. And it's hours of I ruined this and I'm making her be mad. And it's how can I make her have that? But like, screw, like, I don't, I don't even, I haven't even raised, I do acting class. And my teacher was like, you need to learn to raise your voice more. <laughs> Because I'm just like, Ugh, I hate any of that. But uh, yeah, so it's just zero to 60. And you're just like, fuck, I did not know that that was a trigger word. I did not know. So you're always like contemplating how to say something or mm -hmm. how to do something because everything was a trigger. Was there ever, uh, did she ever experience suicidal thoughts? Yeah, she told, oh my God, I forgot about that. Yeah, she told me once that, ooh, doctor. Um, <laughs> yeah, she told me once that she'd like slit her wrists and let herself bleed out on the table. And I can't remember what I said for that to happen. But uh, but she looked. She like wasn't going to do it. She did or she told you she did? She told me she would. Yeah. Okay. How would you feel if I, you know, all of that. So there's definitely those. But I, I remember talking to my dad about it once and he was like, ah, people who say it don't do it. <laughs> Not necessarily true. But I know, but she didn't do it. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. No, you know, I, I wouldn't was, accept it's that his as a way general of being rule. Like, don't, yeah, it's his way of being like, don't worry about it. It's yeah. Fine. yeah. So, so when it comes to your mother, uh, the diagnosis probably that, that, that first comes to mind and what you've described uh, would be borderline personality disorder. Um, and, and what that does, just some of the list of symptoms here from the, the DSM, uh, is that there's antisocial behavior, um, compulsive behavior, hostility, impulsivity, irritability, risk-taking behaviors, self-destructive behavior, self-harm, social isolation, or lack of restraint. And I think that probably 90% of those describe what she has done. Or, or is doing. Then when it gets into the mood, there's anger, anxiety, discontentment, guilt, loneliness, mood sling, sadness. And so I think you describe all of that. But I think the key thing here in this is that there is a distorted self-image. There is grandiosity and narcissism. Yeah. And I think that's really where the, the, the key point is here is that this, this thought of I'm going to control you and and you're going to do what I tell you to do, whether you want to or not. And, you know, with narcissism comes the gaslighting, you know, as you mentioned in in, in a previous relationship of, of love bombing, you know, sometimes narcissists do that as well. Did she ever get to a point of where she was like, okay, I've got to keep Katie happy. Let's love bomb her. She would make me say, I love you before we ever le left the house. Cause she said like what we could die. So, um, or she would on birthdays, like, she would buy so many gifts, but then it was thrown in my face. Like, ah, oh, you know, I, I, I don't have money to do this. And I, I don't fucking ask for the shit. Right. Right. Which is, which is typical narcissistic behavior. And, and just a side note, uh, if anybody ever does something for you and then they say, look what I have done for you, or they say, after all of that I have done for you, you're going to do this, then they really didn't do it for you. They did mm -hmm. it for themselves. And uh, a lot of times, though, we fall into that trap of feeling like we owe them something uh, yeah. when we don't. We Honestly, we don't owe anybody anything, just like nobody owed us when they gave it to us. You know, there's the, if you live in a world of tit for tat, you're always going to lose. You're always yeah. going to lose. So with this narcissistic behavior uh, growing up, I, I believe that you adapted and coped very well uh, with it. The thought of, of your mental health and where you are today is, is proof of that unless there is this, uh, you have this exterior of being just this very happy, bubbly uh, Irish Catholic, as you explained. Uh, but then when everything goes away, you recluse into a dark corner and, and contemplate the the powers of the world no, i'm good like i wake up some morning sad i'm not gonna lie to you but i do think that emotions are like a balance so i just go i'm going back to sleep for half an hour right yeah <laughs> and then i'm fine like i think um you know i i do feel like i'm i'm very happy mm -hmm. but i wish my dating life was better but. <laughs> but but do you feel happy or do you feel like it's an exaggeration of happiness no no i feel very content like i do like I woke up this morning feeling a bit sad, but it was just like. But that was because you knew you were doing this podcast. And... No, nah, it's because I slept with the guy too soon. <laughs> um, and like that shame and stuff. And it's just yeah. like, I'm able to, I'm 30 now. So I'm able to dress. This isn't mine. This is my culture. Chill. Mm -hmm. And I just think some, I'm a happy and positive person. And I like being that way. Um, but I'm also aware that life is a balance. And if you're going to. If I'm going to be happy from two to 10, maybe the, I'm just not a great morning person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, 
well, I feel a little sad for a second, but I, I just, I think that's normal, right? I Absolutely. Think. Yeah. So, uh, during the during the the break here between the two podcasts, you uh, shared with me that you have sleep paralysis. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, is that not like the scariest thing in the world when that happens? Yeah. Um. It recently was very scary. I had it really bad recently, but that's because I watched that fucking Beyond Your Eyes program and I and it's literally talks about like night terrors and I'm like I should have known. Like I remember one time watching Black Swan and nearly needing to leave the cinema because it's about the mother daughter. Like they should have little like you know the way they have those suicide things like eh, if you're suicidal don't watch this they should be like if you have trauma don't <laughs> fucking watch this. <laughs> but um yeah that and I think that's what spurred it on a bit but um yeah, no, it's pretty bad. It doesn't happen a lot though. Like it used to happen way more, but now it's like maybe once a month. If I'm actually dating somebody and I'm sleeping in their bed, it never happens. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like having a boyfriend for that. <laughs> yeah. And and then you said you had this reoccurring dream. Yeah. So I used to have, used to come a lot more, but the past year I've been working on my uh, issues with my mother. So um, I think that's why I'm getting over it. But it was... The same dream, I'd be back in the house, um, in my house, and I couldn't pull down the blinds fast enough. Um, and there's someone outside trying to murder us. Um, and it's just a variation of that dream. There's always someone trying to murder me in the house and I'm not able to to keep the house secure. Okay. And and how often would you would you say you experienced that dream? I feel like I haven't in months. I don't remember the last time I had it, but it used to be like at least once or twice a month for years, for as far as I remember. But I feel like the pandemic has been good for me in that regard, mm -hmm. that um, I've less stress maybe. And I've like also been really thinking about like giving myself a break with the whole mother stuff and being like very kind to myself and nice to myself and stuff. So I think that that maybe has helped a lot and I'm sleeping better. So Okay. So within psychology, there is a a subsect, if you will, of, of sleep psychology. And it talks about how um, we need sleep to to process our emotions and to get things out of short-term memory into long-term memory, how we process that. And even with um, uh, dealing with PTSD, uh, we have EMDR that basically manually processes things the way you would do if you were in a REM sleep. So in that study, there are certain things that we can pull from dreams to try to tell psychologically what's going on, because I would dare say, and there would be some that will argue with this, but I don't think that dreams are made up. Yeah. I think that everything that we dream comes from our subconscious, and it is us trying to process out those things that we have kept in. So uh, growing up in your childhood home, typically is that you're dreaming about a crossroads in your life of of where you are either about to do really good or about to do really bad, that you're kind of teetering. Uh, when you are pulling blinds, typically that is telling us that it's something that you're ashamed of, kind of like if something's in the closet. If you're hiding it, it's something you're ashamed of. Uh, and then typically an intruder or a murderer or somebody trying to get in your house is is illustrative of someone you have cut off in your life. So if you put that all together, you would be dreaming about your mother who you are ashamed of and how she is going to affect your future. 
Oh yeah, that is true. That makes sense. I always worry that she'll slide out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that the pulling blinds was just because she would make me do that every night because she was afraid someone was watching us. And yeah. then she would say that there's murderers outside. So yeah. I was very, I was taking it very literal. Yeah. could and, and then, you know, that could be, this is just one aspect of how that would work. But, and I would say that you probably deal with quite a bit of, uh, of, of a subconscious anxiety that mm-hmm. um, it, it probably doesn't manifest physically. But do you ever have times where you just feel like your brain is foggy and you just have to take a minute? Yeah. Yeah. I also have like really bad IBS as well. So mm-hmm. I think I agree with the subconscious thing because I mm-hmm. feel like I'm fine. And mm-hmm. then I'm like, my body doesn't feel like it's great. Right. And, and, you know, even with IBS, it is uh, some studies have have indicated that it is caused by chronic anxiety and depression. Um because uh, about 90% of your serotonin is made and stored in your gut, which is where the old adage comes from is to trust your gut. But according to one of your posts, you can't trust your gut because your gut deceives you because you have IBS. I think if I read yeah. that right, it's what you said. Yeah, but I really should trust my gut. A lot of times I guys that it hasn't worked out with dating, my gut was like, eh. And I was like, eh, let's ignore this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that probably comes, though, from your feeling of loneliness. Mm. because you never were really nurtured as a child. Yeah, no, no. Uh, and so the the key thing here is to not carry that into a relationship. Yeah. So what is one thing that a guy could do that would just, and you said you don't really cry unless you really have something to, that just really deeply hurts you. What is something that a guy in a relationship could do to you that would put you to the point of being deeply hurt to cry? I mean, I mean, like I cry if I watch movies and stuff. When I said that I meant more, well, yeah, I guess more, yeah, if I was really hurt uh, to cry in front of a guy. I don't know. See, just because I wouldn't cry wouldn't mean I'm not hurt. I just think in the argument, once you cry, you lose. And I'm not, I'm not saying that as a bad way, but I mean, like, I don't want, I want whatever I'm saying to be heard and understood. And I feel like if you get upset, I don't want them to be like, okay, it's okay because of that. I want them to really listen. Mm -hmm. And understand. So I try not to for that reason. Also, because I just like I would have cried a lot more when I was younger and stuff. And but um, uh, but you probably did when you were super wrong and you were told that you didn't have anything to cry about and be sent away. When I was what? When you were very young. Yeah, like I think Ireland's a very as well. Ireland's like that anyway. Like don't be crying over spilt milk. It's not a super cry pro culture. Yeah. Yeah, and like what are you crying about? You're lucky to have whatever that sort of stuff. But um. I think like if a guy cheated on me, like that would probably make me cry. I'm sure. Like just the regular stuff, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, so it would be the abandonment that would really get to you. Um, If he cheated on me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so. I guess as well. It's just because I would never do that. I'm ridiculously loyal. Because even when you said before about, oh, you shouldn't hold up your tip for tat. And yes, my mother shouldn't do that. But I can see how frustrating it is when you're in a relationship and you're, and it's not being, reciprocated yeah yeah but you can't use it you can't be listing up but um i find that sometimes like yeah a little frustrating but i don't know um like how someone can expect so much from you without doing it in return Mm -hmm. but i think everybody feels that but i think you know if you look into persons uh, a person's personality and how they receive love that if you are giving them love the way they receive it that they will naturally reciprocate to you the way that you need it that it's yeah. just it's organic in that way. 
Yeah, but I have dated a few narcissists. So, <laughs> like, you know, that's something I'm like trying to work on. Well, you need, to, people. you need to get your checklist and, you know, yeah. say, okay, these are my red flags. I have a list now of what I want. Yeah. And, and check off those red flags. And girls don't like red flags and guys don't like red flags. And uh, yeah. love is blind, though. We can be starstruck by someone and say, I don't care about all of these red flags. Uh, it's just the best looking person I've ever met in my life. Yeah. Um, and, and, <laughs> and then it all falls apart and we don't know what to do. Yeah. So I guess, I guess with the cheating thing, because I don't think people abandon you after they cheat. Sometimes I just tell you because they feel guilty or whatever, but it's more just, oh, I know what it is. It takes me a while to like, I okay, I trust my friends and stuff like that. But when it comes to partners, that if that trust was broken, I wouldn't, I would find it very hard to, so I think that would make me cry. I just definitely don't want to meet someone who breaks my trust. If right. That makes sense. But, but uh, not necessarily physically abandoning you, but emotionally abandoning you because of the trust that's left in that, in that relationship. So, yeah. 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 I guess so. Yeah. Um, because I would, I would dare say you have abandonment issues mm. because of your yeah. mommy issues. Yeah, for sure. You know, how do you that, feel when you have a really close friend that you talk to quite a bit and then just just they quit talking to you? I feel better about it now, but I know when I was younger, I didn't like, you know, like a few years ago, that would really bother me if I were putting a lot of effort in and they weren't and they just suddenly. Yeah, of course. But no, I feel more better about it now, but that's just because I'm old and I'm like, I have no friends. In the past, yes, but I can honestly say, no, it's fine now because I um, realize that people just have their own shit going on and you can just call and you don't need to talk all the time. So right. I, I'm kind of I'm kind of okay with that. Okay. No, none of my close friends would do that, though. My very close friends have been friends with for years. Yeah, if, they're, if they don't talk to me for, for like a couple of weeks, I'm, I just know that they're busy. Mm -hmm. I have a kind of secure relationship with them. Okay. So in, in friendships like that, you do have that security, but that's because you have built this trust over a years, a, yeah. a period of time. Yeah. Okay. So what do you think is, is your biggest problem? In a relationship? In in life. Um that I guess, yeah, wanting a relationship. I think if I am very honest, I probably was trying to recreate some sort of love that I didn't have. Like, like most people, if you have like a mother, like I was with my father and my stepmother a good bit of the time, but it's not the same. Like you don't have someone who just loves you unconditionally or whatever. And like my mother always told me nobody would ever love me. So I think for me, always trying to date and find, I was probably trying to replicate a bit of that. So I'm trying to like not do that anymore. And, and it kind of goes back to you wanting to prove them wrong. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But like- so so you'll try something you wouldn't normally try in hopes that it would prove them wrong. I well, I mean, I would settle with guys just because they liked me and not ever asking if I actually liked them and then being frustrated and angry. And, you know, now that I'm 30, I realize, oh, I just didn't like them. Um, like, what was I doing? Like, I, I don't need to date everybody who wants to date me. So that's been a huge learning curve. Um, and also my friends love me. I have the best friends. My stepmother loves me. My father loves me. So it's like kind of being like, oh, I don't need to. I am loved and I love mm -hmm. me. So. Right. Which is the most important that you do love yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now. I do now. So so when it when it comes to you for an actual diagnosis, I, I really don't think that you have any type of mental health diagnosis. I think that you've just carried a lot of baggage in your life, but you have found healthy ways 
to cope with that baggage. Yeah. Yeah, I so, think so. If you had talked to me five years ago, you might be like, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, we we like to think, at least on the psychology side, that everybody has something wrong with them. And really, you know, if you boil it down to the brass tacks, we all have something. Um, but to have a little bit of something doesn't make it a diagnosis, but it also doesn't really make it a problem. Just like you said, you know, some mornings you wake up and you're sad. Well, what what is wrong with that? Now, if you're sad over a period of days, then you know we need to we need to talk about that and see see what's going on. But uh, you know, even with sleep paralysis, um, it's not always a psychological issue. Sometimes it can be neurological, uh, and and there are uh, neuropsychologists that study those kind of things. Um, so uh, with this reoccurring dream, I I could all. I would bet good money, and I'm not a betting man, but once you get into a secure relationship that you're not going to have that dream anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been like far and few between recently, which I do think has been me also like coming to terms with like the whole mother shit and giving myself a bit of a break. So um, I think the pandemic was fucking great for me. So I'm so excited to get in a secure relationship though. I'd be such a good girlfriend. So that's why I get really annoyed with these guys where I'm like, don't you realize you should lock me down? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's also like, I, I've i been picking the wrong men as well. Yeah. I love fun. Not, so, But cuffing season is over. So, you know, we're moving in the summer here. I so. know, but it's all I, like, people are like, you're young, have fun. And I'm like, a healthy relationship sounds like a lot of fun to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and at least when I turned there, I'm 37. So when I turned 30, I was like, oh, I'm so old now. You know, I just, I feel old and I move like an old person. And when somebody would say, oh, you're still young. I'm like, you have no idea, you know, how I feel when I wake up in the morning and I just feel like I'm half dead. And, you know, we, we do that to ourselves, you know, sometimes. So as far as having a healthy relationship, you need to find someone that you can on the front end say, hey, this, this, these are my expectations. So and, do you think I should say that? Yeah, not in a very pointed kind of way, but, you know, to say, hey, you know, this is what I've been through. This is what I'm looking for. And and you can say, hey, I'm not looking to date for fun. I'm looking to date for a relationship. You know, there's okay. nothing, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, I'll say it's a English lad, so. Yeah. <laughs> We'll that see if true. there's a third date. <laughs> yeah, that 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 is true. And, and you know, typically by the second or third date, you're going to know their intentions. I mean, it's it's yeah. going to be very clear. But trust your gut on that. And if it just doesn't seem right, then walk away. And if it is right, then fate has a way to bring things back around to us. That's true. As my dad says, "What's for you won't pass you." Which is funny because when I went into this bloke's kitchen, he had that on one of his quotes. Uh, um, yeah. And I was like, "Oh, dad." My my wife and I dated for like three months, and then we didn't talk to each other for like a year. Oh, wow. And then we dated again for like two months, and then we got engaged, and a month later got married. Oh, my God. So it was, it, it, if it's meant to be, it'll come back. Yeah. You know? so yeah, I agree with you. You do have to remember that, and, and, and to remember in the relationship that you deserve the best. Yeah. You know, what has happened to you is not who you are. No, no. That's why I I try not to talk about it too much because I don't want to identify as it. Yeah. I think we get lost in that, though, that, 
you know, because this has happened to me, then this is probably going to happen. Or, yeah. you know, even in, in, in thinking about mental health being sometimes hereditary or genetic, we get concerned about, okay, is this going to affect if I have children or is this going to manifest sometime later in life? And uh, I would say to you is that now that you're in your 30s, you're probably outside of that window uh, for any of that to manifest unless there's a traumatic life event that takes place in your life. Like growing a uh, child in my stomach? No. <laughs> that seems no. so traumatizing to me. Kids just burst out of your vagina? I'm like, oh my yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> no, no not, not to that extent. Uh, something that, you know, it could be, it could be, Losing someone that you're really close to. Yeah. It could be being in a very bad car wreck and almost dying. Yeah. You know, those kind of traumatic life of events that can rewire your personality. But I don't really think that's anything you need to worry about. You're you're very healthy mentally right now from what I can assess. And uh, I'm proud of you. Uh, Thanks, you're doing you're Tom. doing good. This is so good. good. Okay, I won't jump out the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please don't. Please don't. We would we would kind of frown on that just a little bit. No, so. no, no, no. I I I am happy. And like when I was younger, when I was like 15, I thought about maybe suicide just for like a split second because I was like, oh, then people will know. And that sort of level of depression and stuff. Now that I'm older, I'm so happy that I'm able to be like, like I don't know if anybody's listening to this and you ever think about it. Just time. Mm -hmm. I remember my dad saying something to me like time heals all mm -hmm. and it's like oh sometimes you just got to do like an emotional prison and I'm so glad like look I don't know how far I'm just so glad that I didn't um, mm -hmm. and that I kind of just and I remember going three years just fucking wait three years and I did and you know and now if I ever get sad I'm like ah just give it an hour it'll be grand and yeah. I just yeah it's like the best thing anyone ever told me like time just do the time which brings up an, an interesting topic of sleep. Uh, and I've often said that sleep is the dishwasher of the mind. Yeah. Uh, if you have this super great idea at one o'clock in the morning and you go to sleep in the morning, you'll be like, that was a horrible idea, <laughs> you know? And Yeah, sleep on it. Yeah, just sleep on it. And, and, you know, if you had a friend that reached out to you that you couldn't physically get to that said, hey, you know, I, I don't want to live uh, I don't want to move on. A, a lot of times there's what we call a no harm agreement. And that's where I say, okay, Katie, I know what you're telling me. This is what I hear you saying. I can't physically come be with you, but can you promise me that you will not do anything until I call you at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning? And 99% of the time, that person will agree to it and they will say, and, and this will be their thought. While I don't want to live, I can't let Katie down because I just promised her. Yeah. And so then that gives them time to sleep on it. Yeah. And and wash their mind, if you will. And in the morning, they may still feel depressed. They may still feel like they don't want to live, but they'll be in a different headspace about when they're going to do it or what they're going to do. So it's it's very important to do that. Of course, if you're listening and you are considering suicide, then then you need to get get help, whether that's through calling the suicide prevention hotline uh, or or you know if you're right on the edge calling 911 mm -hmm. uh, to to get you help. And there's absolutely no shame in feeling suicidal. Yeah, no, yeah, shame. no, no. I'm sorry. I I'm, yeah. I think. A lot of people at some point in their life and it's over 
consume like I was talking to someone recently and they were talking about someone cutting themselves or like suicidal and they were like I don't understand it and it's like as people we're not taught to understand the feelings we have it's so hard to articulate it and to express it so for me actually it makes a lot of sense why people would just go fuck it I can't um and like that if you just give it time it, it the fuzz goes away and absolutely yeah I had a friend and she called the police because she felt that way but the police said have you eaten and she was like no and he goes I'm on my way but eat something and then mm-hmm. she ate something and she said it was like the most bizarre thing but um she's a great story about it she's a stand-up comedian but it was like a life-changing that she was like oh my god I haven't eaten all day oh I should eat this guy's giving me a job I should do this before he comes and it kind of kept her busy until he came it does. And depending on what you eat can kind of reset the anxiety. You know, if you're a very anxious person and you suffer with anxiety, if you find yourself in the middle of about to have an anxiety attack, if you eat something super sour, it reboots, if you will, your brain. That's amazing. Uh, it's, a, it's a grounding a grounding technique. So I love uh, food. Food affects you so much. Even like green tea keeps you, helps your heart on. So mm-hmm. any lads listen to this or women too, because it's the blood flow. So green yeah. tea. Yeah. Like, it just is amazing how little bits of food, like there's, there's like, you know, these tiny little things that could just help you, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, whatever, whatever you may be struggling with today, just know that there is help and there's hope and there is somebody out there who cares uh, about you and about what you're going through. And um, you can get all the help that you need and it is available to you. And I've never, I've never counseled with someone who attempted suicide that said to me they wanted to die. They've always said, I didn't feel there was any other way. Yeah. And, and I think that's kind of where we get to the point of, it's not that we want to die. I just don't know any other way. Yeah. And it's also, oh, now people will know. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. why people cut themselves as well. Kind of like hope. Well, Cutting is all well. I mean, it's also like control, and you can it, it's literal, you can feel the pain. But I feel mm-hmm. like also it's like a if you can't express or explain it, it's like someone will ask or something. It's like mm-hmm. so hard, it's so hard to just be like, shit, I'm not coping. But mm-hmm. if someone's like, are you not coping? You're like, oh, I'm not coping. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. And, and you know, that's the other thing. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, your cousin said, why didn't you tell us? And you nobody asked. You know, it's okay to ask somebody, are you feeling okay? Is there something going on? Do you feel suicidal? There is, there's nothing wrong with asking somebody um, how they feel. And, you know, even with cutting, typically the reason people cut is to feel a different emotion than what they are currently feeling. Yeah. I did did it a couple of times just when I was 15. And it was mm -hmm. just because it was like, I I was so overwhelmed with all the emotions and the shit that was going on that Mm -hmm. it was oh, I can feel this pain. And it was mm-hmm. like, I have control of this. Now, I only did it a few times and I was like, it's not for me. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't even call myself a cutter because I had, it was like a month. Um, but so do you know what is, gives you the same result, but is much more healthy? Wow. Taking a cold shower. Oh. Just as cold as you could possibly take. Yeah, that's good. I definitely don't need that at all anymore I kind of figured out um my own I don't know I also have this weird coping mechanism that's gonna sound really crazy maybe you will actually diagnose me after this <laughs> but when I was small and like everything going on with my mother and stuff I don't know why I got it into my head that anytime I thought of bad thoughts I thought it would would happen so I would 
and then Irish people touch wood um, as a way to be like, oh, if that, what if like you got cancer, touch wood. But it really like, it was really in my head a lot, like, oh my God, these bad things are going to happen. And I think because my mother just talked about all like the worst possible scenarios, but then there'd be situations where there'd be no wood and I wouldn't be able to touch wood and I would get so much anxiety. But my, f- now I'm not an extreme Catholic, but my father gave me this cross mm-hmm. when I was 11 and I've never taken it off since it fell off once, but in that I'd never take it off. And when I think a bad thought, like I, if someone goes, oh, my, you know, my mother had cancer, like my father had cancer. And if I think, Jesus, I hope my dad doesn't get cancer. I automatically just go. And it's mm-hmm. like a twitch now at this stage, but it just resets it. And I don't. Yeah. So it's like a very strange coping mechanism, but it's just like, this is wood. I, I don't Jesus think it's strange. Christ was wood. <laughs> His yeah. cross was wood. Yeah. I, I don't think that's strange at all because you were brought up in a household where it was worst case scenario. You know, and and the thing about it is, does it work? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is it hurting you? No. It's so amazing. it's okay. So, yeah, so I'm it's very okay. happy with it. Thank God. So yeah. Well, Katie, once again, it's been great to have you with us, and thank, thank you. you for joining us on Doc Talks DX. And and I'm I'm thankful for you and your willingness to share your story. And once again, I'm proud of you Thanks. for being who you are. Thank so. You. Tell us again where our listeners can find you. At Katie Boyle Comic, please come talk to me. Uh, <laughs> and I have a podcast called The Shift, um, which is all about like anti-shame, sex. We do talk a little bit about mental health because sometimes a therapist will come on and be like, but usually relationship based. So Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. And I'm Doc Brian. You can find me at the.brian.com on Instagram, the underscore doc underscore Brian. And there's a link at the bottom of my website for all of my social media. And feel free to follow us there. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, Doc Talks, on all streaming platforms. And of course, Doc Talks and Doc Brian is a part of the Be Frank Network, and you can find all of our podcasts there at BeFrankNetwork.com. And I look forward to having you join us again next time. Again, Katie, thank you for being with us. You have been excellent. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, so thank you for that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Everyone, have a great day. Thank you. Bye.